For those that don't know me, my name is Andrew and I'll be doing the Bible reading today. Uh, tonight we'll be doing, uh, we'll be going through Genesis chapter 14, verse 17 to Genesis chapter 15, ending in verse 21. After Abram returned from defeating Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the Sheva Valley. That is, the king's valley. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God Most High. He blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people, but take the possessions for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand in an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or sandal strap or anything that belongs to you. So you can never say, I made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the servants have eaten. But as for the share of the men who came with me, Anna, Eshkol, and Mamre, they can take their share. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be great, will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my, my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir, instead one who comes from your own body will be your, your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? He said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him, cut them in half and laid the pieces opposite each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. 
For the sun had set and it was dark. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring, from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River to the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hethites, Perizzites, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Hi there, friends. Good to be with you today. If you've joined our online service a bit late, you might want to hop on YouTube and rewind to catch my earlier video. Otherwise, what I say next won't make a lot of sense to you. But if you're still here, you probably know that um, Ellie and I have just announced that after seven years of uh, being part of this amazing church community, we'll be moving on as I take up the role of Senior Minister uh, in the Anglican Church at Katoomba. Now, this is pretty big uh, for us, pretty, uh, a new church, a new community, a uh, new climate. We've already hit up the Kathmandu uh, winter sales, so we're getting ready, but it's, it's pretty big for us. This will be uh, big news for many of you, others, well, not so much. Uh, but the strange thing is, right, as we get uh, to this point and start uh, making you, making others uh, sad with this news, it, it's kind of strange because um, at this point I'm actually feeling better than I have um, for months. Now, not because I like making you sad, just to be clear, no, it's because uh, finally I've got some clarity about what the future holds for me and for my family. Now, of course, we never really know what the future holds, but, I, but now I've just got a general sense of the next chapter. and It's been uh, pretty hard not knowing what's coming up for a while. Uh, maybe you, uh, maybe you're feeling some kind of worry about the future. As I said before, uh, some of you will have um, emotional reaction to my family leaving. Uh, others of you will feel it for the church. There's been uh, so much change over the last year or so. You may have anxieties about the future of this church, but church aside, there's enough to be worried about uh, in terms of the future, isn't there? Um, how long will lockdown go on for? There's been a couple, couple more weeks added. How much more is coming? How will this impact uh, your business, your community, your kids, your mental health? Uh, when will you be able to see the grandkids? When will you be able to offload the kids to the grandparents? When can you get out of the house and see some people a bit more? Of course, anxiety sells, and so uh, the media often makes things a bit harder. What will happen next? Who can you trust? What vaccine should you get? Things looking good, things looking bad. Uh, who knows what else is filling your mind as you think about the future? Perhaps uh, COVID and church stuff pales in comparison to the things that maybe you're anxious about. I got a message from a friend during the week who passed on um, the, the distress of other friends stuck in the civil meltdown going on in South Africa at the moment. It's just horrific. Uh, my concerns about the future are really nothing compared to, to these people who don't know when they run out of food or electricity or medicines or baby formula. Um, they're living with such violence and destruction. Please be praying for the situation over there. It is far worse than I personally realised. Maybe it is for you too. Well, we're heading back into the Bible, heading back into a particularly ancient bit of the Bible. And as we do that, you might kind of wonder, what does this story have to do with the here and now, with the chaos and uncertainty that we're kind of feeling today? Who cares about an old story? But as we look at the Bible, remember that... Uh, if God was shaping the events that happened back then, and if uh, he caused these events uh, to be recorded and interpreted and preserved and brought all the way to us, if, you, if he caused them to be tied into the big story of the Bible, and if you can see God's hand in that story, you'll see that his hand and this story reaches forward even to us. And we see that and we see it's the same God that's working even now. And so 
if he's kind of over all those thousands of years of history, then we can trust him with the next bit too, no matter what. We can trust him with the future that maybe we can't see, the future that we are worried about. Because the future, right, is no surprise to God. He is with us. He walks through uncertain times with us. Last week, we jumped into the Abraham story. He left the land of his fathers and God told him to go to a new land. And actually, he wasn't called Abraham. He was still called Abram back then. And God gave Abram three big promises that every year four SRE student should be able to tell you. God promised that he would give Abram land. Uh, that he would grow his family so they would become a great nation in that land, and that in his greatness, Abraham or Abram would become a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. So in faith, as we saw last week, Abraham set out on that journey. Of course, there are a few speed bumps, right? They get to the land of Canaan, the promised land, but surprise, surprise, it was full of Canaanites. It looks like this land thing was going to take a little bit longer. They're going to need a bigger, a bigger family, a tribe to take over this land and fill it. But the family thing was tricky too. Uh, we already read that Sarah was unable to have children. But it got worse. As we saw last week, they went to Egypt. Abraham tells Sarah to pretend that he's his, she's his sister. Uh, but that means that Pharaoh takes her into his family to be his wife. Now, on, on one hand, that's, that's a win. Abraham's getting rich with you know, cows and camels and flocks and whatever. It's the family connection to Pharaoh. But on the other hand, he isn't getting any kids himself. And what's more, he, he's lost his wife. So it's not the smartest move, you would have thought. Anyway, we saw last week, God uh, miraculously reunites them. They head off. Uh, Abraham is very blessed and rich through Pharaoh. Um, although rent a wife to get rich quick scheme is not something I recommend anyone, uh, anyone try. But, but the story continues through chapter 13. Abraham uh, travels with all his flocks and his nephews with them. His name is Lot and Lot is really rich too. And there's too many of them all together. So their households separate. God brings Abram back to the land of Canaan and says, all this will be yours. All this you can see. It's like Mufasa in The Lion King, right? Everything the light touches is our kingdom. Wow. And everything the light touches is yours. God says that to Abraham. But then Abraham's, uh, Abram's pesky nephew, Lot, gets caught up in a war. He's captured. So Abraham gets his fighting men. There's 318 of them, we read. He goes and defeats the armies of, of four kings and rescues his nephew, along with heaps of pri um, other prisoners and stolen goods. I think it would just make a great action movie. And that's what brings us up to the reading that we had today, looking at from chapter 14, verse 47. Abraham comes back from this victory. He's met by a guy called Melchizedek. And Melchizedek's like a priestly king. Seems like there's kings everywhere back then. But he's a priestly king called Melchizedek. He throws Abram party and he blesses them. He says this in verse 19. He blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has handed over your enemies to you. And we see that Abraham, uh, Abraham in return gives him a gift, a tenth of everything he had. Uh, what a whirlwind adventure. And you kind of wonder, what's going on? Why all this detail? Why these random kings? What, what's the point? But if you notice that the language of blessing that Melchizedek was using, it's a language of blessing um, that, that takes us back to last week, takes us back to those three promises God made. Remember chapter 12, verses 2 uh, and 3? He says, I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth 
will be blessed through you. See, it's coming true even here. Abram becoming a blessing to the world. He's helping kings. He's rescuing their people. He's uh, saving the day like an action hero. Abram is becoming great. He's being blessed and honoured. And he has so much wealth. So much wealth. And he's confident. He's so confident in God's provisions for him. You see, after the battle, the other kings want to thank him. They want to give him some of the treasure that, that he captured in his rescue mission. But Abraham says, no, I don't want it. God will provide for me. No man will say that he made Abram rich. Such blessing. He's already so rich. Such a blessing for our hero. He says, I don't need your stuff. I don't need the treasure. I'm good. Thanks. And so the scene ends, the kings head off into the sunset. It's like the end of an epic adventure movie. Uh, the bad guys are defeated, the families reunited, the allies head off. They're rich and satisfied and safe and we're left with Abram, confident, grateful to have played his part, blessed by God. Everything is good. End of story. Roll the credits. But you know, like any good uh, Netflix series, the next episode gets going straight away and, and we can see the story continuing. It's now night time. Abram has a, has a vision, perhaps a dream, and we hear God's words to him. Chapter 15, verse 1. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. Afraid? Why is God saying that he's afraid? Why is God saying Abram's, Abram's afraid? Isn't he the conquering hero? But I think here God's words cut beneath the surface. They reveal the truth. Yeah, Abraham, Abraham's the conquering hero. He's wealthy and secure. But God says, don't be afraid because, well, Abram, you are afraid, aren't you? God says, I'm your shield because, Abram, you do feel vulnerable, don't you, and unsafe. Abram, your reward will be very great because, Abram, despite all your wealth, you don't feel rewarded, do you? You don't yet have what you want. What is it you want, Abram? What's wrong? And so it all uh, spills out in verses uh, 2 to 3. Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. What good is all this blessing? I don't have a son to give it to when I'm gone. I've got no legacy, no family. Some random guy will get my stuff. My name, my family will be all finished. You promised blessing, God. And yeah, I've got lots of stuff, but you also promised a family. I just don't think that can happen. So what God does next is he comforts him. He comforts Abram. He assures him. Abram goes outside and he sees the stars. Now, I used to live in the Middle East. I remember going out in the desert at night, seeing the stars. And it's so amazing. So many of them, so brilliant. Perhaps you've seen the same thing in the outback somewhere. But Abram, uh, Abram is told by God, he says, look, count the stars if you can. You're going to have as many, many descendants as that, more descendants than you can see and more can, than you can count. And we read that Abram believes. He believes. Let's just dig in here for a little bit. See, I can't always wonder what it means uh, when, when it says that, that God speaks to someone like this. What did Abram actually hear? Was it a voice? Was it a dream? Was it a feeling? It's hard to pin down, hard for us to look back at Abraham and figure out what's going on. Hard for us in these situations too. Though to be honest, I actually had, um, uh, in recent days, I've actually had a few moments of feeling uh, that, that God communicated to me in this kind of way. 
There's been moments uh, of peace in our recent decision-making process uh, where I felt God saying, you know, it's going to be okay. Uh, you can go. Tack will be okay without you. Uh, even at one point, I did actually have a, have a dream that gave me great comfort in making this decision. Uh, I may tell you more detail, details of that dream one day, but uh, now's not the time. Of course, the cynic in me kind of says, well, that's just me rationalizing a tricky decision. Makes me feel better about that myself. But on the other hand, well, if I believe what I do believe about God and what he's done, if that's all true, then why can't God speak and communicate in that kind of way? You know, I think I'm naturally nervous about people who say, God told me to do this or to do that. God gave me a word for the church. It's hard to know what's real and what's not. And it can be used badly. But surely God can and does communicate like this sometimes. I need to be open to listening um, to God. Maybe you do too. You're often quick to read, quick to speak, but slow to listen uh, to God. I believe what I felt was comfort from God. And that's what Abraham, uh, Abram sorry, needed too. That despite the evidence, despite the hurdles, despite everything stacked up against him, uh, Abram believes God. He trusts him. And that's all that God wants from Abram at that point. It says, uh, Abram believed God and he credited to him as righteousness. Abram was doing just what he was meant to do, simply trusting in the God who made promises. Uh, he looks at the sky and sees God's goodness and promises. He's called just to believe that God's got this. That he's got this. I love the image of stars here as well, because we know things that Abram didn't know about the stars, that these, these massive uh, balls of flaming gas swirling around through the universe, we, we know that they're just so massive and they're so far away. We know how small we are compared to God's handiwork as he makes the universe. And we know, right, that some of these stars that we can see, they're just so far away. They're so far away that only just now we're seeing some of the light that was being produced thousands of years ago. You see, there were burning flames that were exploding way back then. Back at the time when Abram was walking under the sky that night. When he was there somewhere in the Middle East thousands of years ago, light burning back then is only just reaching our eyes now. It's, it's mind-blowing stuff. And what that means is, is I look at the stars and see God's bigness. And I see his grasp of eternity. Our lives and our futures and our past, they're, they're tiny in his hands. Yeah, the future is clear, uh, sorry, unclear and cloudy to us. But to God, it's like an open book. Just believe and trust. That is righteousness. Entrust your future to your good father. We're called to have faith in God because he is faithful. We're called to have faith in God because he is faithful. Abram believes and promises that he will have a family. He'll have someone to pass the blessings on to it. And there's hope for the future. And, he, and God goes on from verse 7. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I'll possess it? I believe, God, says Abraham, but, but help my unbelief. How will I know? Then God tells him how he will know. He makes a covenant, a vow to Abraham. And it's an extraordinary scene that we, have, that we see. I'll read it again in full. This is verse 9. He said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. Abram makes a sacrifice, as he is told to. He cuts the animals in half and divides them into two piles. 
And what he's doing is a covenant making process. It's a kind of a promise making process that would have been used back in those days. See, the, the Hebrew word for covenant, uh, to make a covenant, is literally to cut a covenant. Because a covenant involves blood. And so what God's doing here is starting a promise making ritual with Abram. Uh, back verse 11. Uh, Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly a great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them, and they'll be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Abram, this is what the future holds. Know this for certain. The land is not going to be yours soon. In fact, your descendants will be the ones who take it. There'll be 400 years till then, living in lands that you don't own. Slavery and oppression are coming. And we know from Exodus that that will be in Egypt. There'll be more barriers to God's promises, but I'll overrule, says God. I will judge the oppressors. We know the stories of the plague and the, the deliverance from Egypt. The people will be brought out. They'll, they'll take the land I promised. There'll be enough people by then in your family. You, Abraham, will die. You'll go and be with your fathers. But in the fourth generation, your family will be back and they'll take this land. Here's what's going to happen, Abraham. I make this covenant with you. Then what happens? Verse 17, when the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hethites, Perizzites, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. God makes this promise to Abram. But In a normal covenant-making ceremony like this, what happens is after the animals are divided into two piles, uh, both the people in the covenant will walk between the piles of dead animals. So if uh, two kings make a treaty or an alliance with each other, they'll both walk between sacrificed animals. Why? Well, they're symbolizing something. They're saying, if I break my promise, then let me be like these animals. If I break my covenant, if I break my vow, then I'll pay with my life. This is a serious vow. You break your part of the deal, it's your life. If I break my part, it's my life, okay? It's a covenant of blood. See, God here promises the land to Abram's descendants. But you see, Abram doesn't walk between the piles of animals. It's only the flame that goes between them. And if you think ahead to Exodus, think of the burning bush. You think of the the pillar of flame in those stories. You think ahead to the flames of sacrifice. You You might know that fire often symbolizes the presence of God. So, who is it walking between the piles of sacrificed animals? Well, it's God. Who carries the weight of the covenant? God does. Only God. And not Abram. God walks it alone. God is saying, look, this promise, it's on me. It's not on you. Your family will take this land, not because you make it happen, but because I will. Abram, you can know that my promise will become true because it doesn't depend on you, it depends on me. You will have family and land because it's my plan, it's on me. Have faith in me for I am faithful. Have faith in me for I am faithful. Abram has faith. It's credited to him as righteousness. It's how he's called 
to respond. I want to draw out a couple of, of, of things from here. You see, I've made a big deal just then of it just being God who bears the weight of the covenant. And I think the point uh, there is that, that God's plans are going to happen because they are his plans. Uh, I don't know if there's much that Abram could have done really to stop God's plan. The, the weight of fulfilling God's promises rests on God. And if you read through the Bible and you read Genesis you'll, and Exodus, you'll see God brings them to the land just as he promised. It didn't get there because of Abraham and his offspring. It didn't get there because they did such a good job. Actually, it's despite what they did. Despite his family being dishonest and stubborn and rebellious, as we see through Genesis and Exodus, despite that, God holds their future in his hands and brings about his plan. You see, they could have faith in God because God was faithful, not because they were faithful to him. God bore the weight of that covenant alone, promised to Abraham. God walks between the sacrificed animals. He says, it's on me. This promise, it's on me, not on you. Now, it's worth pointing out here that there are more covenants that God makes with his people. Next week, we're going to see the covenant of circumcision, that people kind of, there's a bit more buy-in, so to speak, to this covenant. People are involved. Yes, here in the Abraham story, God makes the covenant that he will fulfill his plan, but his people are called to participate in it. We see there's, there's a lot that God calls his people to do. We read through Exodus, we see the laws and the sacrifices and the rituals and the ceremonies that God asks of his people. He calls them to keep themselves holy, to be set apart for him. Covenants that bring blessing if they're kept and curse when they're broken. We kind of see this cycle over and over again through the stories of the Bible. And what we also see in the Bible is humanity's absolute inability to hold up their end of the bargain. Their inability to keep their, the covenant. So, but, but God knows all this. God is not surprised by this. He knows that it's always up to him to bear the weight of his plans. And so just as God walked alone before Abraham there through the symbols of death, so God in the flesh, Jesus, walked to his death, again bearing the weight of the promise, again bearing the weight of the plan alone. God promises land and family and blessing to Abraham. And as Matt showed us last week, these things are, are ours in Jesus. We, we are blessed to be in God's family, blessed by him, given an eternal home with him. But such blessing and hope for the future doesn't come from us holding up our end of the bargain. These blessings are ours only because of Jesus. Jesus who by his blood wipes away our rebellion, wipes away our failures and our sins. Jesus who calls us just to trust, to believe, to accept his gift. Jesus who makes a new covenant in his blood. Not the blood of animals in our place, no, God himself standing where we should. When Abram was called to trust God, God said, look, I'm the one who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And he says, look back at the blessings I've given you as I've brought you out, I've blessed you and cared for you. I did that. You can trust me. And as the Bible goes on, God says, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt and gave you the promised land. Look back at the blessing I've given you. I did that. You can trust me. But you and I, we look back at all of it, recorded for us in the scriptures. But above all, we look back at that moment where God says, I am the God who walked through death for you. I brought you out of death and out of sin and out of shame and I did that. You can trust me. So you can trust me with today and you can trust me with tomorrow. You can trust me with your family and with your church and with your nation and with your world. You can trust me with your eternity. It's not on you. It's on me, God says. You can have faith. 
because I am faithful. You can have faith because I am faithful. Let's pray. Father, so many things on our hearts and minds that we worry about and stress about, things for our present, things for our future. Father, help us to see that throughout history, you have been working. Throughout the scriptures, we see your plans at work. Help us to see that your work continues into today, that you have your hand on yesterday, today and tomorrow. We can trust you with small things and large things. I pray that for each of us as a church. We pray that for each of the things on our hearts and minds today. Thank you for Abraham's faith. May we also have faith in you. Uh, And that's what you call us to do, to have faith, to see you as the king and trust you. Thank you that you are faithful and so we can have faith in you. Amen.